God bless you. Thank you for being here today. My name is Danny, Danny Forshee, uh, the pastor here at Great Hills Baptist Church, and Kelly and Janice Seeley. God bless you guys. Thank you so much for giving us such a warm uh, greeting from Deutschland, from Germany. Uh, I love to hear Kelly speak a German. I mean, this guy sounds like he is from that part of the world, but uh, we're so proud of them and their ministry and have two beautiful girls. And I know the Spencers and I had a blessed time with you guys there uh, in Frankfurt. As you know, this whole month is Lottie Moon uh, offering when we take up our offering for our missionaries all over, uh, all over this world. Our Southern Baptist missionaries are so, so blessed of the Lord to be able to participate and to invest in them. Our goal is $50,000 and I believe we will not only reach that, but also exceed that, that goal. So an interesting thing happened to me. I was talking to a friend of mine just um, a few weeks ago, and you ever had anybody just kind of say something to you, and they plant, uh, they plant a little seed in your mind? And so I was talking to a friend of mine named Jay Strack, and I was telling him about this sermon series that I was preaching on the, the paintings, the famous uh, works of art, this re these religious works of art and the, the text upon which they are based. And he said, are you preaching on the Annunciation? And I was like, well, no, that I'm, I'm not. And that's all I thought about it. And then this week, as I was uh, preparing messages and studying, his voice came back to me and I thought to myself, self, why aren't you preaching on the Annunciation? And so I just began to study, and uh, we began to just have a great time with the Lord this week. So this week, we're just going to have a new message on the Annunciation. So it's Luke chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 26 through 39. But because I changed my mind, and pastors do that a lot, but I changed midstream in the midst of this series, we don't have a print for you. We've ordered it, but we're still going to draw the name at the end of the service today, and whoever's... Uh, number is called. The print is in route, and so we're going to, we're going to find you, and we're going to make sure that you get the print uh, of the, uh, the picture of Leonardo da Vinci's Annunciation. So welcome again. We're so glad that you're here. So honored to get to preach God's Word. What a great passage of Scripture uh, to talk about today as we're preparing for uh, this Christmas season. I'm looking forward to next week as we preach on the adoration of the Magi. And then that uh, next night, which is Christmas Eve at 5 o'clock, let me invite you if you're in town, uh, please come out. We always have a great crowd come to Great Hills on Christmas Eve at 5. And so we're only going to be here for about 44, 45 minutes. And it's going to be a sweet time of worship. And I hope that you'll put it on your calendar. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at the text today, which is, that is the premier feature of every sermon is the Word of God. We make much, we accentuate, we amplify God's precious Word. And so the scripture today is Luke chapter 1 when the angel Gabriel comes to the Virgin Mary. And there's this beautiful scene here in this dialogue and we're going to look at the text and we're going to look again at Leonardo da Vinci and then we're going to look at this painting, this picture, which does not have as many features as the Last Supper that we looked at last week with the 13 characters only has two characters. It has Gabriel and it has Mary and Leonardo da Vinci is only 20 years of age and many believe this is his first main uh, work of art and you can see his genius, you can see his amazing abilities already being demonstrated as a young man uh, painting uh, this very famous Renaissance painting. So here it is, we'll look at the text first. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth 
to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, the virgin. I notice this two times already. Luke is going to make sure that you and I know that this woman, Mary, has never had sexual relations with a man. She is a virgin, and that's going to accentuate the whole miracle of this. So he says, a virgin betrothed, engaged, and engagement then was a little bit different than it is today. You, I mean, you're engaged then, betrothed. It was basically as if you had already been married except for, uh, except for the consummation of the marriage on what we would call the honeymoon night. But in order to break that engagement, it would be the equivalent to a divorce today. So this betrothal was a very serious matter. And Joseph and Mary, now they are betrothed. They are on, it is on the calendar. They are getting married. He is a young man. I doubt that he's over 20. And some believe that Mary is as early or as young as 13, which was the Marian age. And many of you parents of teenagers are going, whoo, 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 I'm glad that has changed. She may, be, she may be 15, possibly 16. So let's back it up. Back up the text. I wasn't finished reading that text. Let me read it. To a virgin betrothed to a man named Joseph of the house of David. That's very important because he will be, the Messiah will be of the lineage or the posterity of King David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was what? She was troubled at his saying. I know y'all have read this many times, and I have too, but come on now. Gabriel is in the house. This angel appears to you, Mary, you're 15 years of age or so, and this magnificent creature of God just appears in your presence, and he says, hey there, you know, how's it going, Mary? And she is troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting that this was. Then the angel said to her, do not be afraid. Now, why would the angel say, do not be afraid? She was petrified, right? I mean, she was like, I'm about to pass out. I've never seen an angel, much less one speak to me. And one of the 365 times in the Bible, these words are used, don't be afraid. Or stop being fearful. No trepidation, no fear, no worry. It's, it's going to be okay. And I don't know who you are today, but somebody needs to hear that during this Christmas season. God is still in control. God is sovereign. And whatever's going on in your life, Stop being afraid. But Mary, here you are. You have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son. And you shall call his name Jesus, whose name means salvation, right? He will be great. And he will be called the son of the highest. Now in the Septuagint, which is the uh, translation of the Hebrew into Greek, you have this word Elyon, and we've preached on this word El Elyon, which is God most high. He will be son of the Elyon, the most high God. That is his position. And the Lord God will give him this power of the throne of his father, David. And he will reign. That's his position, right? He will reign as king over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary, and I love this dialogue because it is a dialogue. I mean, uh, this angel, Gabriel, this magnificent creature of God, 
has sent, has been dispatched from heaven and he comes to earth and he comes to Mary and he says to her, you have been chosen of God, of all the women on this earth, of all the women that have been born, that are being born and that will be born. You, Mary, have been chosen of God to bear the son of God. Now, I know we don't do Mariology here at Great Hills Baptist Church. We don't worship or adore Mary. We don't believe in the immaculate conception of Mary. But let me tell you something, guys. Mary's kind of a big deal. She's a big deal. God chose her, this peasant girl from Galilee, to bear the Son of God. He didn't choose Caesar's wife or Herod's girlfriend. He chose this woman in anonymity. Nobody knows who she is. She is a lowly peasant girl engaged to a young man named Joseph. We don't know a whole lot about. And God takes the inconspicuous, the unknown, and then God does his great work. And by the way, he still does that. He likes to take the humble, the broken, the you know, the passed over, the forgotten. And God says, I can do my greatest work with people like that. And then Mary said to the angel, how can this be? What do you mean me have a baby? I don't know a man. Now that is, that is a nice way of saying, we hadn't done that. You know, we're not married and we have had no sexual relations. So this is absolutely impossible. This is impossible. How could these things be? And the angel answered and said to her, here's how this is going to happen. (laughs) The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the highest, the Elyon, the most high God, he will overshadow you. Therefore, also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. And now I love what Gabriel does next. He begins to comfort Mary, begins to speak to her about how these things are going to happen and some confirmation. And now indeed, Elizabeth. Now, when Gabriel uses this word Elizabeth, I think this is a dramatic moving scene in the narrative, in the dialogue, or now it's a monologue because he's going to tell her, listen, Mary, this is not a dream. This is not a vision. You have someone of your kin, and there's debate as to what the kinship is. Your cousin, an aunt, or what we don't know specifically, but Elizabeth, your relative. And Mary's probably thinking, wait a minute, this is no dream because I do have a relative named Elizabeth. And so go ahead, Gabriel, what's up? Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son. (laughs) What's this little prepositional phrase? In her old age. In her old age. And by the way, this whole pericope, this whole passage of Scripture, this block unit of Scripture in the Greek New Testament, it is latent, it is saturated, it is absolutely full of, are you ready for this? The supernatural, the supernatural, angels, virgins conceiving, a woman up in years has conceived, she's six months along, and she's pregnant. Listen, this whole narrative has to do with the supernatural. And if you're an empiricist, if you're a naturalist, and if you're an anti-supernatural kind of guy, you're going to have a hard time with this. You're going to have a hard time with 
You're going to have a hard time with creation. You're going to have a hard time with the fall. You're going to have a hard time with the virgin birth. You're going to have a hard time with the substitutionary death and the glorious resurrection. And you're going to have a hard time when the king comes again. But guess what? It's all based in God's plan, in God's will. And it is supernatural. Let me tell you, let me tell you this. Our God is a supernatural, awe-inspiring, omnipotent, powerful God. That's who he is. That's who he is. He, he works in the realm of the supernatural. And if he wants to do this, he can very well do it. And he does. And this is now the sixth month for her, Elizabeth, who once was called barren, never had a child. Now, remember Elizabeth, Zacharias, he's in the temple and an angel appears to him. Guess who that angel was? You can look up just a few verses. It's the same guy. Michelangelo is almost androgynous. You can't tell if it's girl or guy. It's an angel. And Gabriel is his name, and male, female, don't know. And Gabriel appears to Zacharias. Now he's appearing to, to Mary. And then he says this. Oh, my word. Can we just read this, Great Hills Baptist Church, on the count of three? Can we just all read together these words? There's something powerful about the spoken word. And we're just going to speak these words because some of you are probably facing some, what man would say, on the naturalistic empirical level. You're, you're faced with an impossible situation, an impossibility. But on the count of three, let's say, let's say it together. One. Are you ready? Okay, two. Y'all still ready? Okay, three. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Woo, I love that. Then Mary said, oh, I love this. Behold, the maidservant of the Lord. And no, no, no more trepidation, no more fear. She has moved out of that and she's having this dialogue with this magnificent creature named Gabriel. And she goes, all right, Gabriel, here's my response to the whole deal. I am open. I am available. If God wants to choose me, then God, you have chosen me. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Woo, that's a great response, Mary. Way to go. And then she says, and let it be. Let it be to me according to your word. And then the angel departed from her. Isn't that an amazing passage of Scripture? This annunciation, this announcement, this divine pronouncement that God sent Gabriel to tell Mary, who has been chosen by God. She's highly favored of God. And from all time now, for all eternity, we will know this name, Mary, the mother of the babe, Jesus. So that's the text. And it is a very riveting, moving passage of Scripture. Next, I want to look just a few minutes at Leonardo da Vinci. I talked about him last week, and I want to bring out a couple of things that I did not bring out uh, uh, last week. Some of this will be uh, repetitious. For example, he was born in Florence, Italy in 1452. He died in 1519 at the age of 67. He, he was born out of wedlock and. His dad, uh, by the name of Sir Piero da Vinci, he, he never really legitimized his son. He, he never really told anybody, though everybody knew it around town. He never would treat him as my beloved son. And so there is this estrangement. And some of you are estranged from your mother 
or from your father. And the truth be known, some in this room today, you're so estranged, there's such a fracture and a brokenness between your mom and your dad and you that it's caused you a whole lot of problems and issues. And if you're here today and you have a mom and a dad that love God and love each other and they love you, you should count your blessings. That is a beautiful miracle of God for a homogeneous nuclear family today to be married, to love each other, and to love you as a daughter or to love you as a son. Oh, let me tell you something, parent. Do you know what you are doing on behalf of that child? It is beautiful. Leonardo da Vinci did not have that, and I believe it contributed toward his difficulty. He had lots of difficulties. Mentally, he didn't have any difficulties. This guy was off the chain, man, off the chart in genius and brilliance. For example, he was an expert in physics, chemistry, painting, math. For, for pleasure, he would do geometry. <laughs> Who in their right mind does that? <laughs> geometric shapes in the Antedivian man and the triangle and the circles. And Leonardo could just spend hours studying Euclid's geometry. Okay, in theatrical designs, he was an expert at that. Architecture, military warfare, engineering, numerous disciplines. <laughs> and Walter Isaacson in his book on Da Vinci says, oh, and I also paint a little. <laughs> Um, I, I can paint a little. Well, his parents never were together. Of course, they were, she was just a mistress. His, his mom, Katerina, that's how she was treated, just a mistress to this man. He went on to marry other women, but he never, never really legitimized or never really said, you are my son, and I'm honored to be your dad, and I honor you, and how can I help you? He never, never did that. I want you to keep that in mind. He was baptized in the Catholic Church at 10 days of age. Uh, he showed these proficient skills, probably a child prodigy at an early age. Math and painting were the two big fortes in his life. He was just, he was just amazing at both. And so they entered him into a kind of an apprenticeship, and it lasted for many years. A man by the name of Veraccio, and he was his professor, or he was his instructor in Leonardo da Vinci in that atmosphere just began, he began to blossom. One of the things I didn't bring out last week, and uh, as I'm reading Da Vinci's biography by Walter Isaacson, I, I, was, I was amazed at this. He, another hobby of Leonardo da Vinci was uh, autopsies. He liked to dissect human beings when they're dead, right? Because it's autopsy. He, he loved to, in fact, he had a friend who was a hundred years of age, and he was so fascinating that this man was 100 years old. He basically said, I can't wait for you to die because I'm going to tear you apart and find out why. I'm going to find out how you live to be so old. Sure enough, he died. And I think he did 10 dissections, autopsies on, on human beings. And this 100-year-old. And in the process of him dissecting him meticulously, he was the forerunner. My, this guy. This guy, Leonardo da Vinci, was the one who discovered basically what we know today is arteriosclerosis. He figured it out. 
in the late 1400s, early 1500s. He says, you know what? There's this buildup. There's this plaque in the lining of your arteries, and I believe that is attributed to you. And the guy dies of a heart attack, and, and, and this guy figures it out. In fact, a, a well-known medical historian gave him, gave him credit and said, yes, it was Leonardo da Vinci who, who figured that out. I mean, crazy, crazy kind of genius smart. Well, one thing I said about Leonardo da Vinci last week, and I want to revisit this for just a minute. I'll probably get emotional talking about it because it's just hard to talk about. Homosexuality is not my struggle. Same-sex attraction has never been a problem for me, but I want to tell you something. It is for many. It is for many. Some of you sitting in this room, it is for many. And I'm not a psychiatrist, a psychologist, but there's a very good probability that those who struggle in this area of their lives, there's a disconnect between you and your dad or you and your mom. I had a lady tell me one time, she said, let me tell you something, Pastor. Yes, I'm a lesbian. And you know that, and, and I said, I, I know, and I know you come to our church, and I want you to know you're welcome to come to our church. She said, can I tell you the, the number of times my Baptist pastor dad repeatedly raped me as a child? I said, what? She said, yeah. She said, that's my story. And I just broke my heart, and my heart still breaks. I'm, I'm not... Oh, I did bring one. Amen. I'm, I'm not up here to go light on sin. I, sin is sin. Jealousy and homosexuality, anger and fornication, sin is sin. Now, the repercussions for some sins are far greater than others, like homosexuality, because it impacts so many dimensions of your life and other people's lives. But I... I may not know your struggle, but I do know the blood of Jesus is powerful. And he can cleanse, he can wash, he can redeem, he can, he can restore all of those hurts and all of that brokenness. And, all. and I had this struggle with my dad, and I, I wish it wasn't true. I wish, it, I wish that wasn't my story at all. I wish my dad had an amazing relationship, Andy, like you do with your dad. And I, I love that. I love that, but I didn't have that. And I'm kind of messed up in some ways because of that. And I struggle with some things. But this much I know, God is good, God is greater, and there's no excuse to say, well, I've, you know, it's just this was inflicted upon me. I can't help but to burst out in anger. I can't help to actuate on my homosexuality because these things are happening to me. No, that's an excuse. You can't do that. Here's why. Here's why I say this. Because you're telling me God's not strong enough, but I'm telling you God is strong enough. He, in fact, he's the only one strong enough. And the last thing I want to say about this, and I, and I, wish, I wish this guy could have had the resources and, and what's, what's available today as far as counseling and, and, 
and, and, and ministries and programs like Transform. We're, we're about to start a ministry here at Great Hills through Daniel Van Cleese leadership called Transform. It's for folks that have hangups and addictions and problems and issues. Hello, that's all of us, right? We all got issues. You say, well, I don't have an issue. You are an issue. I mean, everybody. <laughs> Everybody's got issues, things we grapple with, we deal with. January the 9th, Brother Daniel can help and fill in the blanks, but we're going to have some, some men and women who are going to be available to help. A discipleship ministry called Transform starting January the 9th. It's a lot like Celebrate Recovery. And if you, you just struggle with some things and you, you want to work through some things, you talk to men like Colby Smith and, and Greg Bennett. Love these men, champions of God, who will say, I can help. I wish he, I wish this guy, I wish he could have something like that. He knew a lot about God. He, he would talk about the creator. But I never see anything in my study of Leonardo da Vinci who said, I have a personal relationship with Christ. Maybe before he, maybe before he died, he confessed his sins and gave his life to God. I, I hope so. I don't know. Thank you for letting me talk about that. That's, that's been something I've been wanting to share uh, with you. The last thing I want to do now, finally, is the painting, and we're going to get to it. Um, so let's, let's look at the, the painting itself. And it's some pretty amazing stuff here. And I've got lots of quotes and lots of data and information. I'm going to go kind of quick here. But if you want to just dive into this painting and study it more, then, then we're happy to give you my notes. And I've got the footnotes. I've got it all here for you. So let's pull it up. Let's, let's look at it. It's a fascinating uh, painting. You see this high Renaissance uh, characteristics. The Leonardo was expert of these kind of things in the background. But really the two figures that you're drawn to immediately would be this, uh, this amazing angel Gabriel. And of course, this is Mary, the Virgin Mary. And the scene Leonardo da Vinci depicts is he has just landed. And you can't see it much here, but the flowers and the grass are literally leaning away from him because in your mind's eye, if you can envision it like this gust of wind just comes in and he kneels before her. And, 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 and Leonardo da Vinci captures this, which by the way, was a very popular painting in the Renaissance period. Leonardo da Vinci, he was one of many painters who depicts the scene, the dialogue, the Annunciation, when Gabriel, here on the left, with the hand, right hand raised. Now you can't see it as much here, but there is a lily. There's, here's the lily. It's a white uh, lily, and he's holding it in his left hand. It's known as the Madonna lily, and it represents the, uh, her purity, her virginity, and it represents the city uh, of Florence. One thing that's interesting to me about her is I don't think she looked like that at all when Gabriel talked to her. I mean, really, I don't. I, she was a peasant girl. Her clothing would not be, this would not be emblematic of her clothing. Now, Leonardo da Vinci is it's absolutely amazing the way he's created this archangel. Notice the wings. Someone said he would spend time just analyzing the flight of birds. And based upon his genius of aerodynamics and the creation of birds, he, he represented and he depicted it here in this angelic being's wings. Do you see the hair? Whenever you study Leonardo da Vinci, he always loves to put these curls, these beautiful curls, not only in this 
this archangel, but also if you'll notice them in, in Mary. Notice her hand is raised. And that was their way of saying, she's startled. Ooh, no, I don't think it was like that at all. I think she's like, what, an angel, you know? And so again, this, what's interesting to me, and I, I haven't read this, but this is just my summation of what's going on here. Mary is a different Mary in, in the Renaissance and even today in the Catholic Church than she was in the Bible. And I think that's a problem, okay? Because she is just regal and amazing in, in, all, in, in, in this glory, but that's, that, that's, I think that's a poor depiction of, of what she probably really looked like in, in her humility and her poverty. But by this time, uh, and this started early on, in, 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 um, especially with the church fathers, it wasn't in the New Testament, the Immaculate Conception of Mary. You, you can see some of this. I mean, she was born without original sin is the teaching. Now, we don't, we don't believe that. I, at least I don't believe that as a, as a follower of Christ and reading the New Testament. And the people who espouse this view will tell you, oh, by the way, this is not in the Bible. This is just what we believe, that because of Jesus' merit, because he was in her, that he took away all of her original sin, so she had no sin, which I have a real problem with that. But if you just kind of spend some time just, just engaging in this, in this whole, this, this beautiful dialogue, right hand raised, got the lily, he's kneeling, he's, he's leaning forward because he just landed, which I love that. And she's startled. She has her desk here and, and she's reading, her, her right hand is extended, she's, she's studying, reading. And here he comes to tell her, this amazing news. And by the way, this, this is an incredibly famous painting, and you will see it, um, you will see it in not only, again, in Da Vinci, but also in other famous, famous artists. The wind from his arrival stirs the grass and the flowers beneath him. I love that. Mary's face is aglow, and I hope you can tell. Can y'all tell? I don't know, but if you can't tell it here, you can definitely see it on your computer screen. Her face is really lit up, and, and it's even more so than his. And, and Da Vinci, even at 20 years of age, they said he's he, he, just such an expert in light and texture and the ability to, to create not only motion and movement, but also to create uh, the, these lighter uh, features here in Mary. It's beautiful. It's fast, fascinating. You say, okay, so help me again. How, how does this relate to me in, in my life here as we're ramping up for Christmas? Thank you for asking. I'm going to give you five things in five minutes, give or take a minute. Okay, here they are. Number one, God works in the realm of the supernatural. And these are just some life applications. You may want to jot these down. These are not in your, your bulletin. These are not, I think they are on the, uh, on the PowerPoint though. There they are. Good, good, good. God works in the realm of the supernatural. I, I, I tried to say this earlier, whether it's creation, the fall, redemption, future uh, glory, all of this is bathed, it's clothed in this language of the supernatural, that God is above nature. God creates nature. God can intervene in nature. God can do anything, and God does many things in this passage where it's just fraught, it's just, it just overflows with the supernatural, virgin, angel, old lady, having baby. I mean, it's all in the supernatural. I'm thinking of a, it's funny, it's a true story, but 
Uh, Russell Moore, he's our executive director of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of our convention, Southern Baptist Convention. And he was interviewed uh, by a lady on a radio talk show. I think it was in Washington, D.C. And this lady had him on her program simply because she had never met anybody, anybody who believed that marriage should consist between one man and one woman for life. She was blown away by that concept. And she, in fact, she says to him, she goes, Dr. Moore, I've never met anybody like you. You really believe that, I mean, two women can't get married, two men can't get married? You can't believe multiple marriages? You, you, are you telling me in the 21st century that it's supposed to be one man, one woman for life? Is that right? And he goes, oh, oh. I see. He said, oh, yes, ma'am. And let me tell you something even more bizarre than that. I believe Jesus Christ is coming back on a horse one day. He's going to split the sky wide open, and he's going to come get his children. I said, what? Praise God. That is supernatural. And I'm telling you, God, he worked in the supernatural. He is working in the supernatural, and he will continue to work in the supernatural. We just have to be at peace with that. We just have to look at this with the eyes of faith. Number two, God chooses the humble to accomplish his greatest works. It's just the case. Whether it's Ruth, Rahab, the harlot, whether it's Mary, whether it's Joseph, whether it's David. Remember David before David, the youngest, the least known? Moses, 80-year-old tongue-tied shepherd, can't talk real well. It's, it, remember Moses before Charlton Heston, the Ten Commandments, Moses? Remember Moses? That Moses? Remember the apostles? A ragtag band of fishermen and tax collectors and such? God, he, he chooses, he, he uses the, the humble and the meek and the lowly. And 1 Corinthians 1.26 tells us, not many wise according to this world are chosen. Why? Because when God does this kind of work, then God gets the most glory because he doesn't share, Isaiah says, he doesn't share his glory with others. Number three, thank you, Mary, for this. The proper response to God's call is obedience. Now, you might first be startled. God's calling me to be a pastor? What? God is leading me to do that? Your first response may be, oh my, oh heavens, I, how in the world? And that's what Mary's doing. Oh, who, what? Me? Bear the son of God? What? But then she, she kind of just settles in and then immediately she goes, okay, so be it. I wonder if that's why God chose her. Because that's the kind of person she was. If that's what you want, God, then my agenda's out the door. God, what, what I want to do is secondary. It's tertiary. God, what you want is preeminent, and that's what's prominent. And so my response, ooh, 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 listen to this, guys. Whatever the question is, God, the answer for me is yes. It's yes. Lord, it's not no, it's not maybe, it's not later, but you ask it, God, and you are God, and my answer is, is yes, and, and, and the rest is history. Number four, when challenges or opportunities come, respond not with why, but what now? Now, that's pretty heavy. Let me let y'all just digest that for just a minute. Wish I could take credit for that. I can't, but I do want to give credit where credit's due as I'm listening to this man who spoke these words, Dr. Doug Gruthius, professor of apologetics and philosophy at Denver Seminary. His wife died 
this year, July 6, 2018, after four years of battling with dementia. And this is this professor, this theologian, he got mad, mad at God. You say, what? Do you people do that too? You preacher theologian types, do you? When tragedy strikes you, listen, he's just being just very, very honest and very real. He said, my Becky was brilliant. She was the editor of my books and she was my best friend. And, and then she couldn't even say two plus two is four. And then she slips out of her mind and I'm going, God, why? And then he said, it began to happen. The Spirit of God began to take me where I was and He forgave me and God, he, he molded me and He shaped me and God got me to the point where I can say no longer why, but God, what now? Yeah. Wow, that's, well, that's heavy. That's heavy preaching. That's, that's above my pay grade. That's above my abilities right now. I, I want to be there. I want to be where Mary was. She didn't get in all this debating. Why are you could have chosen all these other ways? What, she just says, no, what, 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 what? Okay, let's do this. <laughs> What's this going to look like? And by the way, that's what God wants from you. That's what God wants from me. He wants to take the cancer and the dementia, and he wants to take the lost job and the struggling marriages, and he, and, and he wants to take that, and he wants to work miracles out of that. But what he needs from you is to quit asking him why and to say, God, okay, I don't understand. You know, I'm a little ticked off about it. But okay, God, what do you want to do? What's, what's going to happen now? Well, that's a beautiful response. Thank you, Dr. Gruthius. Okay, number, I think we're up to number five. This is the last one. Ooh, look at that one. Isn't that good? He said, where'd you get that? I think I just read that. Did I not read? Did y'all not read that a minute ago? God is still the God of the impossible. So on the count of three, let's read this. And I know it's not scripture. This is Brother Danny's humble summation of what we read a moment ago. But on the count of three, I just want you to see. In fact, why don't we all just stand? Let's just all stand and read it out loud. There's just something powerful about the, the spoken, spoken word. On the count of three, let's just say it together. One two, three, four, with God, nothing will be impossible. Whoa, wait a minute. Y'all shifted it on me. Go back to my little number five. There we go. You sneaky boy, sneaky girl, whoever you are. Thank you. God bless you, media people. I'm serious, Terry. That's, we're blessed. Okay, on the count of four, let's do this. One, two, three, four. God is still the God of the impossible. Amen. Amen. He is. He is. He's still the God of the impossible. And for that, God, we give you praise. We, as your people at Great Hills Baptist Church, we love you. We affirm this truth. Lord, for some today are struggling, and the struggle is incredibly real and deep and painful, and it goes back many, many years. And I'm, I'm so sorry, Lord, I'm so sorry that so many have to struggle with the hurt and the shame and, the, and the, just the spiritual debilitation that has been inflicted upon them. I'm so sorry, ma'am. Sir, I am. I'm... I am sorry, but God, thank you that 
what people do to us, even our parents sometimes, and they mean it for evil. God, you can use it for good. And, and Lord, I really believe I am the person that I am today because of the difficulty and the struggle that I have lived through and lived through. God, it makes me more dependent on you for, for everything. I can't do anything, God, without you. For the person struggling today with same-sex attraction, God, let them, let them just know, God, that you are enough, that you love them very, very much. And that you want to take, Lord, the hurt and the pain, and you want to bring healing and forgiveness, and you want to create, Lord, something incredibly beautiful and a testimony so that the test that they're enduring and the struggle and the pain will one day become a mighty testimony for the glory of God. But would you do that, God, for her? Would you do that for him? For those, Lord, that are here today, and maybe they are like Leonardo da Vinci, and they have incredible talent, great gifts. But, Lord, they've never really surrendered and, and just given you their life. And they, they're still walking, Lord, in this, in this guilt and shame and sin. So I'm praying for her and him that today would be the day of liberty and release. Today would be the day, God, when they say, God, I can't. I can't do this. I need you, Lord. I need your help. I need your forgiveness. I need your cleansing, oh God. Oh, would you do that today, right, right now? Say, Jesus, help me. Come into me. Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that came upon Mary and, and, and Jesus was conceived. Holy Spirit, if you can do that, surely you can take my addiction, my homosexuality, my lesbianism, God, my anger, my jealousy, my fury of God, whatever it is, God, I'm, I'm struggling with. If you can do that, surely, God, you can take this. Would you pray that with me? I'm serious. Say, pray, God, take it. Help me with it. You say, well, I've done that. I've prayed that a million times over and I still struggle. Then let people help you. Let us, let get in accountability. Go to a Celebrate Recovery. Hello, Transform starts just next month. Get in those groups and, and, and find out, wait a minute, I'm not alone. Other people struggle. Same struggle as I am. So, Father, we're just praying that miracles, redemption, sanctification, cleansing, I'm speaking these words, Lord, over the lives of our precious people, our people, God, that we love dearly, Lord. So we're praying, Holy Spirit, do the impossible, for this is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.